Welcome back to another episode of Lessons for Tomorrow, a conversation between industry experts providing insights from the past to apply in the present to achieve success in the future. I'm your host, Tim Alanius, VP of Strategic Initiatives at AmericanEagle.com, and joined today by Nick Goodrum. He's our Accessibility Practice Team Lead and Director of Front End Development. Nick's played a key role in the adoption and advocacy of accessibility, ensuring that AmericanEagle.com clients have an inclusive website for all. Since starting with AmericanEagle.com back in 2009, same year I started, Nick has been involved in a large number of projects, including the American Dental Association, the Chicago Auto Show, Rustoleum, and the American Red Cross, and many more. He enjoys educating on best practices and modern techniques around accessibility, page loading, and user experience. And let me tell you, those conversations on user experience, he and I have had many debate, and at the end, he's always the winner. <laughs> Nick has been a champion for pushing accessibility forward by encouraging clients to be proactive and up-to-date on the latest requirements and best practices. Welcome, Nick. Welcome back to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast, the motivational poster in your ear. Uh, I'm your guest, Nick Goodrum. I'm the director of the accessibility practice here at AmericanEagle.com. In this episode, as you might guess from my title, uh, we're diving into the accessibility space and the reasons to think about it. And to do that, I actually have this nice guest right here. I'm joined by uh, our special guest speaker from Sight Improve, Jennifer Chadwick. Hello, hello. So uh, Jen is a global a senior accessibility consultant at Site Improve. Uh, she's been the digital accessibility specialist for, what is that now? Subject matter expert, universal design advocate for 14 years. So a little bit under your belt there. She delivers training on writing, designing, and developing user experiences that are inclusive and usable by everyone. She collaborates with digital teams to improve their design systems, policy assessments, conformance with WCAG, uh, so the WCAG Web Content Accessibility Guidelines, and a strategic roadmap on accessibility. Uh, so this is across many different places, like Canada, US, UK, and EU. Um, and she is also a CPAC, uh, Certified Professional in Core Competencies, from the International Association of Accessibility Professionals. And she contributes to multiple education sources and standard groups within the Web Accessibility Initiative within the World Wide Web Consortium. A lot of acronyms, everyone. So <laughs> yeah, a lot of history there. <laughs> and so she's part of also the Accessibility Next Gen Mentorship Program. So welcome, Jen. Uh, and thank you for joining us on the Lessons for Tomorrow. Uh, so yes, that was quite, an, uh, quite a backstory there. So you have a fair amount of uh, speciality here. Before we dive into it, just a reminder of like, why are we even talking about accessibility? Why are we talking about this? It's because really, if you think about it, you've got one in five users that most likely have some form of disability. And it also increases with age. And if you think about it, we've, we, we celebrated the 30 year anniversary of the web only a couple of years ago. So you might guess the wide range of people that are trying to access the web today. And then with COVID and everything, pretty much everyone's probably using the web on a daily basis. So we need to make sure our websites are accessible to people with disabilities. And then around that, there has been a fair amount of increase in the legal space. Um, the amount just even in 2021, almost, not quite, but almost 3,000 lawsuits around ADA uh, Title III towards just digital properties. Wow. Uh, that's not all of them, but that's just the ones towards digital properties. Wow. So a fair amount. I don't like to focus too much on that because really there's so many extra benefits on focusing on accessibility. But I think a lot of people think, oh, it doesn't matter to me. Like, well, from a, a risk mitigation, that's important. But at the end of the day, 
making good user interfaces is most important. And so kind of around all of this, a lot of these lawsuits around WCAG and around uh, how do we account for everything? How do we test for it? How do we make sure they're good end user experiences? So that's where we're pulling in Jen. You've got a fair amount of experience within this. So before we dive too deep into it, I, I guess just a little bit, what got you into this space? Yeah, I think uh, so all those really good reasons for uh, so lawsuits are never good, but it's just people enacting their right to, to have access to all the information, shopping, learning, studying, um, buying and, and living that we all do. So I sort of started at uh, I was a user experience designer. So user experience lead building those beautiful websites and mobile apps at one of Canada's largest banks. So that's kind of where I got my start with doing those things and having user experience be my my role. But we had the benefit of having this, uh, this usability lab where we actually brought people in to, to use our mobile apps and, and websites and give feedback. And then we started bringing people with disabilities or those who have you know diverse needs or it was the first time I'd ever seen anyone use a, a screen reader in conjunction with the website or use the accessibility features on the mobile app. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it was just really interesting to see how such a variety, wide variety of people with diverse needs, functional needs, and preferences of the way that they use the web every day, we could see that. And we had, I was just designing completely exclusively, thinking of just one fully sighted, fully abled user. And it just opened my mind. So I, I couldn't unsee yeah. when we, yeah, when it was, it was such a, an amazing learning to see just, you know, not everyone's like me. I, I have my way of accessing the web. But UX, I mean, UX designers, you're not the you're not the end user. You always have to say that. So yeah. that was really where it started. And when you can't, you just you sort of grab a passion for uh, and kind of bringing the you know the business folks in to take a look. Did you let's observe those different things? And then um, yeah, quickly that particular bank was a little bit behind in thinking inclusively, not just of one user, but maybe up to five different needs. Yeah. So we quickly became a became a, a sort of advocate going back to my team of designers, content authors, and developers. And we just collaborated to try to incorporate or integrate, I think, which is what we're going to talk about, like integrate yeah. accessibility and inclusive thinking into everything, not it being like a, a retrofit at the end. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that happens a fair amount. So was that around uh, the AODA? So the Americans, uh, or sorry, why am I, why am I, why am I throwing American there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act. Well, so was it around that time that, and that was the push behind it? Because I think that's part yeah. of it too, is everyone thinks just of ADA and the Americans with Disabilities Act, but like there's international guidelines all over the place uh, and requirements for that. So kind of your experience then in Canada, was it something very similar where there's a fair amount of push because of uh, those kind of requirements by law? Yeah, and it's gotten a lot better. So in the sort of Canadian way, sort of softly, softly, like a, a strongly worded letter. Um, but yeah, the AODA of all the provinces, Ontario was kind of leading the charge to the point where we kind of looked to the ADA, the ACA, the Accessible Canada Act, the federal act. Now we kind of got our, the federal government's got their act together. Gotcha. But it's true. So when you um, when you start doing working in the space, you need that sort of scaffolding where you need the baseline as an act that's not scary. It's kind of want to, you know, everyone's so reactive to, to lawsuits and reactive to the law. But I kind of just use it as my as my guide, the scaffolding around what we do. And then um, you become proactive. You know, yeah. let's make sure this doesn't happen again. Or you get really excited about um, helping bring good user experiences to people. Um, but it is, yeah, certainly for businesses, for like uh, banks are federally regulated by our government. Yeah. Everybody, you know, and and 
what we said at the time was, and I love this quote, which is like a bank would never compromise on security measures and making sure, you know, uh, things like that. So we just made accessibility a, a non-negotiable requirement yeah. because it was a law, but also a lot of people started getting really excited about pushing the needle at that time. Nice. Yeah. So then, okay, so then you dove into that space and then over time, you, you know, of course, working at Site Improve, getting mm -hmm. into the consultation space. You're also, you know, a lot of all these things to clarify for everyone. So a lot of these all reference the WCAG, so the Web Content Accessibility Guidelines. Mm -hmm. And there's a fair amount of work into making one of these things. That's why, you know, the first one was, was you know, 1.0 was in 1999, right? Yeah, and yeah. so then it took a while to get a 2.0. Uh, so that was like 2008. And then, and then it took another 10 years uh, to get a 2.1. Uh, but we're now we're kind of accelerating and we're getting to 2.2 and we're getting a little bit faster there. Um, but it's just because there's a lot of involvement and there's a lot of working groups. And so you, when did you start diving into and in, in actually participating in some of those working groups? Yeah, um, I have to say, like, Site Improve was just right there. I was, I, when I joined Site Improve five years ago, I just kind of clutched the um, corporate you know, CSR report to my chest because I knew that they were involved in global policy. Um, as well as being members of the W3C, actively participating and making sure, you know, we we were following the the latest rules. So, yeah. at the I guess prior to that at the bank, um, yeah, you get you get you do a crash course, you read you know WCAG overnight, and you kind of try to memorize all the <laughs> all the success criteria. But it was when um, yeah, really you know my my role as you know consultant, trainer, um, kind of strategist to make it easy to understand WCAG. That's you know, it's kind of in, in my head and I, I use it. Every, I think you and I both sort of use yeah. it every day. Um, so I wanted to, I saw the gaps or learn from a bunch of people who are actively participating in that work where their their needs, especially as we know, like cognitive mm -hmm. needs or, you know, cognitive diversity or WCAG 2.0, um, you know, is, is still the web content guidelines. 2008 doesn't really have much mobile no. standards for mobile. So 2.1, 2.2, and like upcoming 3.0, which is, you know, a couple of years away, all of these are starting to evolve. So I thought I'm a practitioner. It's my role to tell designers, developers, content authors, marketing specialists, business development specialists, like why accessibility is important. And here are the parameters. Here's the WCAG how to meet it. So I kind of wanted to dive into that, dive into that. And uh, and just to your point, Nick, it's um, it takes a long time because there's so many sort of people from academia, the industry, practitioners, people with disabilities, thankfully, in those groups kind of building up WCAG. Yeah. So it comes from a good place. It just. Um, yeah. So I was learning a lot from others who, you know, had those needs. Yeah. And we're sort of saying, you know, these success criteria need to be added. Hence. I think, yeah, 2.1 and 2.2 soon around the corner and then 3.0 will be a, a different story. Yeah. And but it evolves as we go along. Yeah and, yeah. and I think that's the clarification for everyone is that WCAG is made by humans. Yes. Uh, and, <laughs> and also at the same time, technology is accelerating. I think when 2008, yeah. I mean, I think iPhones had only just been recently out. So, of course, you know, if you think about it, it wasn't that they just wrote it in 2008. They were writing it over years. So, of course, mobile wasn't a consideration. But then it's like, OK, well, now it's it's everywhere. Yeah, uh, exactly. And so they have to start introducing more. So that was the 2.1. Uh, and then with uh, 2.2, yes, they start to get into, I think, an area. So part of it, too, is this accessibility on what is a disability. Those kinds of things over time has also shifted. So we have 
more understanding that there are cognitive disabilities and where those are. And I've seen more introductions with each round. Yeah. So don't panic when you hear like, oh, I've got to account for 2.2. It's just like it, it's just adding in clarifications and nuances that most likely a practitioner that was already going through it was like, yeah, that's a problem. And now <laughs> yeah, I have exactly. now I have a success criteria to to officially state that. And so it's not often that, you know, people in 2.0 or two, I mean, 2.1, maybe there was a bit of orientation. There's a couple of things that, OK, maybe they weren't exactly testing for. But on the most part, it's it's the same things that we're going to be testing for. But now we have a specific thing to say, like, yes, that is why it's a problem. And now we can align it to that. Yeah, exactly. And so you are kind of you have been involved in some of those working groups. And I think maybe it can shed some insights um, what was it like? Because I, I know you were kind of involved in Silver and you've also are in a couple other working groups. Um, can you kind of clarify like some of the governance that's involved? Yeah. And um, just a note to everybody, listeners out there that it's it's open. So please, please join um, W3C. We want it to be open you know, by the people for the people. So it's no secret club yeah. kind of thing, which is really kind of exciting. So I have had the pleasure of um, working on a couple of passion projects, working groups. So within the W3C, there's, you know, so W3C, www dot, like managing uh, standards for the internet. And then within the W3C, as we know, it's the WAI, the Web yep. Accessibility Initiative. That is the, that's the department that um, not only produces the the standard WCAG, but another great um, group is the EOWG, Education and Outreach Working Group. So you can join that where it's so we've got the standards over here, but this is the group that works to create content for practitioners to support their their understanding of WCAG and also like really practical guidelines about how to meet it. So I'm involved in something called, it's a little sort of side project within the EO, which is ARRM, Accessibility Rules and Responsibilities Mapping. So basically just trying to make definitions of rules of, of those those kind of just trying to make accessibility work. So what's the role of a UX designer, the visual designer, the graphic designer, uh, the content author, the developer, those are the core four. And then we have all those other great folks and QA analysts and yeah. everybody actively involved. Um, yeah, what's your relationship with WCAG? Which WCAG success criteria kind of fall, falls under your remit? Which ones are you kind of responsible for? Um, so it's a really practical master checklist of, of like a, a guide which has had some really positive feedback. So that's my big thing, which is sort of ownership and accountability makes accessibility less scary. Yeah. And more like as you and I know, like um, more people focused. Yeah. Once you learn the stories, you learn how your friends and, and co-workers use the web, then you can't unsee and you, you grab that empathy and that passion to make it happen. So it's the EO uh, WG and then uh, the ACT or accessibility conformance testing methodology and format 1.0 is also another task force and working group within the w3c and the whole purpose was to gather a bunch of of um, practitioners who want some sort of harmonized rule set for meeting WCAG, primarily from a dev perspective right yeah so um it's called the accessibility conformance testing rules so regardless of which sort of tool you're using or which you know methodology you're using because we have um folks in the trusted testers program the u.s government yeah. is also actively yeah, involved. Yeah. so yeah that's all gathered together and harmonize a, a set of rules and the outcome is this fantastic sort of really clear 
pass fail like here are some all the examples of how you can pass this particular success yeah. criterion and here are the code examples that fail so i just i've, I've been sort of my dear colleagues are participating in that and I, i'm part of the task force yeah. um to work on that so yeah and i think i think that's these the things are just helpful for those practitioners that's why they're there yeah yeah because there's and kind of clarify around that is because yes it's still made by humans and a lot of the success criteria are just kind of more generalized where it's just make sure that if there is some sort of image or graphical base uh that there is some form of alternative right and yeah. that's not the literal success criteria but more generalized for it but it, it's then how do you test for that what would be you know you don't actually have to hit sufficient techniques you don't have to do everything mm -hmm. listed it just is whether or not did you describe that image enough and which makes it really tough and that's why you know uh anyone that's probably looked around to say like accessibility tools like what are and there's and there's tons there's a there's a bunch out there of like here's all these different uh, automated testing tools like site improve and whatnot and that's mm -hmm. the goal if i'm understanding correctly is also to get them to be somewhat consistent as well because exactly. There's, exactly. Uh, i've seen some some cheap ones that have nothing but false flags and uh nothing you know like false flags are like in a sense of saying like this is wrong and you're like but but no it's, it's actually fine uh you just aren't smart enough because it's an automated tool to really know the difference uh, between like a background color and an image and things like that. There is this kind of gap where, you know, I think most people owning websites are like, well, then where do I go or what do I do? And so you're working on these checklists and whatnot. Do you feel that there's a good like location or is it still in the works? Is there a good place where people can go like, all right, this is where I can at least start feeling more comfortable in this? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like I just to say that that's exactly why we did it. We wanted to harmonize to make sure people felt comfortable in using our platform to check. And they're based on the AC2 rules. So those AC2 rules, though, are public. So they're um, they're available for everyone to, to see. That's a great resource, uh, the AC2 rules format itself. And then um, for UX designers, developers, and content authors, and, and visual designers who just want to, we kind of take a plain language sort of rewrite of that success criterion to your point and all the techniques involved r-a-r-r-m we have a wiki that i can always you know share but that was the whole point of that to be uh, you know in the public domain as yeah. well to say plug myself in i'm a ux designer you know what what are these what are these things yeah. so and then yeah the eo the uh, the wai website also has really good teach and learn um courses and things like that yeah, I would say yeah. over time, I have seen an increase. The W3C over time has made that a little bit clearer, made it a little bit more straightforward. Like they've added quick reps, they've added pattern. Well, uh, Ari has added some pattern libraries. Everyone's trying to like mm -hmm. be a little bit more out there of like, here's how you can, guys can do this. So it's it's definitely compared to when I, you know, first got into this many, many years ago, where it was like, all right, all, all I have is just the success criteria and not much of other information, right? Yeah. Um, and there's a lot more information out there. There's a lot more tools out there. There's a lot more to test with, um, which makes it a, a lot easier to do. So it's a lot less scary than it was years ago where people were like, well, what what do I even do, right? Exactly. You're not alone. So people have been trying to figure this out for, yeah, since probably two, well, maybe since 1.0 came out. So yeah, this this is a wonderful buildup of of community of people just trying to make their site successful and good conversation pieces. There's a, a whole Slack channel, like an A11Y, you know, that yeah. short form for accessibility, A11Y Slack channel, where, you know, if you're struggling with a code or, you know, should it use an ARIA label versus, you know, why yeah. isn't this working? Uh, you probably get a response in seconds. It really is an exciting community to be, to be a part of. So yeah. we're all just trying to 
help each other out. So, yeah. yeah. So kind of re regards to that, I, I know that you're also uh, speaking yourself, right? Mm. Uh, so there's the Psych Course Symposium coming up and then you're going to be uh, speaking and presenting there. And what are you trying to educate people on at the symposium? Yeah, it, um, it's a really exciting opportunity for me to to talk there um, and just reach an audience who you know, it's kind of non-technical, like it may not be their immediate remit, um, but they, they want to do the right thing and they're using, you know, these great tools to do that. My talk is really just a reminder of some of the statistics around, like, let's just be reminded it's, it's all about the end user. So if you listen, Bikeg doesn't seem like such a, a mystery when you start to recognize what people actually need. And there's some great statistics. Um, there's a click, click away pound, like pound is pound sterling in the UK. There's yeah. a survey, I'm sure you know about it, um, that's every year that just talks about like consumers in the UK uh, with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And it's true, it's sort of like your website being accessible versus another one making makes all the difference. I actually will spend a little bit more money if that site's easy to use, I will go with your brand versus another one. So we know it's sort of a differentiator now and we want to get it ahead of the curve. So yeah, what I'm, I'm just talking about in my breakout session is um, just a reminder of those, those opportunities to really not just be stuck on, in the lead, you know, in a, an area of fear of, you know, non-compliance or a lawsuit yeah. to being really people, you know, people focused and proactive. And you go from that reactive space, you're far more empowered. You're, thinking about people, the yeah. empathy there, the drive is there, and then you really open up your like your business to statistically we know it's an extra could be an extra 20% of the the entire population and then broken down by country especially in the US I think it's an extra billion dollars or something yeah. in spending power. Yeah. And that's why. Yeah. So just a reminder, e-commerce people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. And and, and it, there is still such a huge industry-wide gap. That's why it's still for tomorrow because even today, there's still such a huge gap. And, and so word of mouth, right? Yep. I mean, you'll stand, out, you'll stand out a lot better if you're one of the first people to, unfortunately, first, even though it's been around for that long, yeah. early on adopters and kind of say like, well, I, I focused on the right thing. And from like the UX space as well, I'm sure you see it too, where it's just, oh, well, focusing on accessibility actually makes better websites. It's true. Yeah. The other thing I talk about is, and I'm sure you've seen the sort of increase in storytelling. So I just to touch upon how social media, if you are a marketer and you play in that space, um, you know, your brand is out there. And it's clear if you, you know, don't add captions to, to your video or you, you know, you're, you put up an image with lots of text in it and, you know, don't describe it. That's kind of, those are kind of visible things. Mm. So those are things that, you know, brands can think about when they're, um, for their next campaigns to reach everyone. But also what's more and more, far more important is um, people with disabilities sharing their stories. A, a, a wheelchair getting crushed by, by an airline, which is unacceptable for you know, a professional yeah. um, which, who happens to have disabilities. Or um, someone who's blind using a, um, a service animal and Uber rejecting that, you know, that, that rider because of the animal. Um, and these stories are told and they are now becoming the forefront. And it's just, it's common sense. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's an understanding of what people have gone through, how exclusive a lot of services and products are. So um, yeah, there's just, we're kind of writing a zeitgeist of an exciting time where we know the the medical model yeah. is the social model, right? Yeah. Like the medical model says, there's something wrong with you. You're always going to be this way. Society is one way, you're another, that's that to the social model, which I think you touched upon in technology, right? There's yep. certain pieces of technology that 
trying to bridge those gaps. So um, to make it people with disabilities lives easier and, and more inclusive in the market. Um, so the social model just says that, yes, yeah, society has you know, traditionally been exclusive. Yeah. But it's, we can change that. You know, maybe not bricks and mortar right away. But certainly, like to your point, in the digital world, yeah. it takes the attitude change to say, we're going to put budget and training and, and testing and, and all the great things that we do to forward um, to get this done. And the other thing I talk about in the talk is it's okay. It'll take time. Yeah. Like it's a, yeah, don't worry. <laughs> let's just start and keep going. You know, let's. Yeah. Yeah. No. And that's the thing. So like the shift in mentality has been away from, well, you are the blocker as a person with disabilities. And it's like, no, 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 no. Society is the blocker yeah. preventing you from having access. And if you look at it, it's like, you know, I always give the examples where it's like a wheel, you know, a, a wheelchair ramp and things like that. And it's like as a parent with a stroller, I've totally used that and been totally yes. uh, appreciative of it. And it's this kind of, oh, well, all, focusing all these things can actually make huge improvements for everyone. Uh, and in the digital space, that's the beauty of the web is, you know, HTML and like these core languages, they can actually be fairly accessible just mm -hmm. out of the box. Just what goes wrong is everyone adds, you know, 4,000 layers and, and 20,000 pop-ups. Um, which isn't really a good method uh, <laughs> yeah. for UX as a whole, but, uh, you know, <laughs> nobody wants it. Nobody wants that. Um, but, you know, it, there's so much that gets thrown on top of it that's not being checked. And what I've often seen, you know, even pushing here where it's just like, you know, even front end developers, they, they say, oh, actually, yeah, testing for accessibility, learning about this stuff. I actually write better code, not just mm. better code for yeah. accessibility, but it's just better, cleaner code. Um, and I'm sure the same thing for designers as well. It's like you, having some constraints actually make you a better designer than just saying, go free, free uh, and do whatever you want. I think a lot of, a lot of site owners are like, oh, I'm going to have to have so many constraints and I can't do these things. And it's like, no, no, no. They're, those constraints are going to help you. Those additions are going to make it easier for all of your users to use your site. It's like if your color contrast isn't sufficient, someone's going to miss it. It doesn't even matter if they have a disability. It's like someone's going to miss that call to action. Yes. Uh, and then it's like, if it's hard to read, um, you know, it's hard to read for, for everyone. And exactly. it just gets to a blocking point for people with disabilities. Yeah, no, I, I, I love that point because, and, you know, sometimes we ask for statistics and I did give some, but from the end user saying like, I'm more likely, you know, good design and, you know, accessibility to your product is is the, the reason why I'm using it. But the stats or the, the you know a consensus form not everyone self-identifies as having those needs right yeah. so to your point like just just carry on carrying on uh, keep calm and carry on yeah. <laughs> um, building accessible inclusive you know good design proactively and you really do solve a lot of those problems or, or someone who may not identify as having that will will benefit from that need exactly what you said so so then for the audience for everyone kind of listening and whatnot do you have like tidbits on like, because I'm sure a lot of, because I still see it, right? Even today where they, they I mean, uh, I think I told you the other earlier where it was like someone was requesting like, okay, we need 3.0. And it's like, it's, it's not even out yet. It, it doesn't even, it, it's still in, in planning. And you're like, but we need to be 3.0 compliant. It's like, I, I, I don't know how to tell you. It doesn't exist yet, right? So there's a lot of confusion. There's a lot of um, mm -hmm. aspects to it. I still feel it's just so many people are getting into this space where a lot of website owners are just, just starting to think about this what is your advice usually for for those people that are coming straight in yeah i just maybe firstly um just 
thank you for the the enthusiasm. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, picture yourself in the kind of the middle of the spectrum where um, I love that like 3.0, as we both know, is kind of like a, a couple of years away. Yeah. Because it takes that time, right? Yeah. Um, so 2.2 is just around the corner where it's nine additional guidelines. Awesome. It's it's great news. It seems like more work, but it's not. It's just. It, these are these are long-standing ones that have been missing. So cognitive those with cognitive needs will benefit yep. and like and and mobile and stuff. So to that, I would say um, take a look at them. They're public. Talk them through with your team. I, I was you know yeah. I've, I've sat down with a coffee and just walked through that with some folks to say okay ah I get it. So this this success criteria is about you know making sure that automated you know I can easily fill in a form. So take it upon yourself to do that. And the reason I say that is because you're kind of in the middle of the spectrum where as we know, and it's no fault of their own, but governments like are way behind. Yeah. They will not adopt 2.2 in the next, I don't know how many yeah, years. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> um, and 3.0 is on its way yeah. and it will be brilliant. But um, even like the, you know, the AODA, fair enough, I've helped a lot of people meet that last year, but it's still 2.0. Yeah, it's still 2.0. So really smart teams are kind of getting ahead of it and like focusing on that. And then you have, yeah, you have all the, the future standards and all those things that will be ready by the time you get there but just put yourself in the middle do do better than what the law requires yeah and then you're making yourself future proof yeah and that's what we're saying to a lot of people in the eu because um yeah the european the, yeah yeah the eu is a little bit different there i mean it's not 2.2 because it's not out yet but uh, it is 2.1 but it's 2.1 yeah. Yeah. yeah and the, the point i was going to make about that is um it's it, uh, two years old where governments are supposed and and, and the uh, the member states, uh, their own governments and stuff are supposed to meet 2.1. And that's been two years gone. But uh, by 2025, it doesn't matter if you're it, it, corporate companies will also. Yeah, it's actually not based on who you are, what business you run. It's about the um, what kind of uh, what kind of services you provide. Hey, we got a website. You have to meet, you know, have yeah. to meet it. A lot of companies aren't aren't panicking. They're actually kind of getting excited to be, you know, to meet that in the future. So they see it as, you know, let's let's get ahead of the law. Let's always do better than what the bare minimum is that's required by law. I say that. I. What are your thoughts well, here so, in the U.S.? So I mean, and this is what I usually tell people is 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 again, it's it's usually filling in gaps. So it's it's something that you probably already need to account for. It's just filling in the gaps. So each two version is to fill in the gaps where it, it's newer tech or areas that was kind of always assumed, but needed clarification. And two is that, yes, the government may not take it today, but they'll probably soon enough pull it in. Mm -hmm. And to me, it's it's always going with the idea that, well, don't have to do it again. Yes. <laughs> right? Like if you're like, I built this component, but I exactly. didn't account for A, B, and C. All right, now I got to build it again to account for A, B, and C. So yes. always best to do it with the latest standards so that you are future-proofing yourself or better preparing for the future and and so then it's always just take a look at the latest. But it, the clarification right now is 2.2 is still in the uh, recommended snapshot. Mm -hmm. uh, it is not finalized. Uh, and that should hopefully happen, I think, by December, I think, something yeah, I think like you're that. you're right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if all goes well. I mean, there's always delays. So, <laughs> um, But in theory. So uh, it's more awareness. Start looking at them. Start realizing what those things are. Then, of course, using those tools. There's, of course, work being done on automated tools like Site Improve mm -hmm. and whatnot to get some consistency across the board. Mm -hmm. And so there's tools at, at the ready, some knowledge areas to look into. And again, it's not one and done. It's a whole journey. So just even getting started today is going to be helpful for the future. 
yeah, you'll be in a good place. If you do that, you won't regret it. All right. Thank you, Jen. Thank you, everyone, for tuning into the future by listening to the Lessons for Tomorrow podcast. For more information about the topics discussed today, check out uh, the description of this episode. If you want us to cover something, submit feedback, email us at AmericanEagle.com and let us know. Be sure to follow this podcast or wherever you listen to them and stay up to date with us. While you're at it, I guess give us a rating, you know, uh, and share this podcast with others to prepare them for the future. That way more people might get some accessibility done. Maybe. And uh, don't forget, we're also on social media and other areas. Uh, this is all, of course, brought to you by AmericanEagle.com Studios. And I am your guest host, Nick Goodrum, and Tim Alanius will catch you in the next episode.